0: Hello
1: uh, and welcome to uh, Ed's Sustainable Business Covered Podcast. Um, It's the morning of Monday, uh, 15th of October, uh, and this is episode 50 of Ed's podcast. Uh, And this episode is a little bit different to the rest, Um, so I don't have the usual podcast script uh, written out here in front of me. Um, Instead, uh, we're planning to run this podcast um, on the hoof, so to speak. On the hoof. Is that the right analogy? Off yeah, Off the Anyway, because uh, it's Green GB Week. Um, this probably would have been a good time to have some sort of party popper again, Matt, but at risk of giving us a heart attack at Ooh. the start of the week, uh, I thought sort of against <laughs> that. Um, but yes, it, it is Green GB Week. Uh, this is the initiative launched by the UK government as part of its Clean Growth Strategy. Um, and essentially, it's a series of events and content. That showcase together how clean growth is uh, or can help to provide new job opportunities, uh, grow our economy uh, for the benefit of us all, and essentially help uh, mitigate climate change. Um, And for those of you who don't know, um, for those of you who haven't visited the ED website uh, recently, uh, we are the uh, ED is the official media partner of Green GB Week. Uh, which is fantastic for us. We've been involved in a number of discussions with them about um, how we can galvanize business action around Green GB Week, which we'll get onto later in the show. Uh, But as I say, we're planning on something a little bit different here for this episode, aren't we? So I'm joined in our offices here by uh, Sarah, our reporter, George, our Insight editor, and Matt, our newly promoted content Mm -hmm. editor. Another reason for a party popper, but we don't have one. (laughs) Um, And Matt, as our podcast secretary, why don't you explain what's happening this week? Yeah,
2: that's a a good task you've given me because it's it's very much still in motion. Um, Okay. we, We essentially have a list of events that we know we want to attend um and it's now putting names to said events on said days okay and then essentially going out into the wilderness and and coming back hopefully with some um some interviews that we can
1: actually play on this is going to be a very short episode (laughs) okay so we're essentially looking at this list of events putting a name one of us against each one and operating the podcast as a kind of a, a, a relay a, a Green GB week relay yeah definitely okay definitely that so um, where are we going to start so we've got this a3 sheet of paper, printed. Yep. What, what's uh, What's on it? What are we going to do? Let's have a look at it. Well, let's have a look. So in terms of today's events... Um, we because there do... is a, there's a lot of events as well. I yeah. was looking at the website this morning and there's it's like a lot more even than I, I realised. Well. Yeah, I
2: put some parameters in place. We're, we're, we're limited to London. We're not off to <laughs> Bristol or Newcastle right. anytime soon. Um, just because the week's that busy that we're not going to be able to go to. I think the ones that really catching my eye the ones at the Nas- national Hist- natural History Museum yeah um
1: they t- is that that's there's one this afternoon isn't there
2: at the... yes yeah um I think both of them are well ones middayish and then the okay. other ones uh, kind of early evening I think one of them is a kind of question time style uh look into I think green GB week as a, as a whole mm-hmm. um, which might faz stuff there's not too much information on the actual uh, link about it, but the, the one before that um, is very much focused on uh, science-based targets, okay. which I think uh, got a really strong panel alongside it, Unilever BT, featuring alongside some of the companies that are involved with the SBTI. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a good opportunity to get something there, Yeah, if I was casting my... Uh, real out, so to speak that's where our day
1: and quite fitting we have a we have a uh, a webinar on thursday about science-based targets so maybe that is a good place to start as a bit of a preview for that who wants a free trip to the natural history museum I'll take you up on that one. <laughs> yeah. oh, Good. Go <laughs> 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 um, okay, so, right, so what we're going to do here is a, a Green GB Week relay. So we're kicking off on the Monday with Sarah doing that, and we're gonna, she's going to get the interview from the Science-Based Targets chat yes. at the Natural History Museum. Who's Sarah going to then hand over to? I think George, um, as Luke mentioned, we're the official
2: media partner for Green GB Week, um, and as part of that we've got this virtual pledge mm-hmm. on our site when yeah. we... We're calling on some um, businesses, a lot of them, to, to make some new, brand new commitments uh, to that. And I think, oh, I don't see how we can't arrange a couple of calls with uh, the pledges Uh, the pledgers even as they
1: come in so we don't know who they are yet we don't know what they've pledged but we're booking you in for the tuesday (laughs) call um and yeah i I did have a big reveal for this mission possible pledge for the number of pledges that hopefully will come in Mm. um at the end of the week um so we'll let's hope on the friday we've got a lot of pledges that have come in Mm -hmm. Uh, okay so the second one is george's chat uh with uh one of our potential hopeful Future pledges for the Mission Possible pledge wall. Um, then, where are we off to after that?
2: Well, I know the the big one for tomorrow is the the Green Growth Innovation Summit. Yeah, in terms of big events this this week. Yeah, um, as um, well.
1: Can I grab this one? I was planning on going out to it anyway to have a look at it from a kind of event. Planning perspective from no, any well, side of things. There you
2: go. This is this is all coming together nicely.
1: Great. Well, there we go. Simple. I'll go to the Clean Growth Innovation and Summit. yeah, I'm the sure platform. there's
2: someone there you can uh,
1: speak to. I am sure. Yeah, I was looking at the event guide earlier, and there are some fairly few high uh, high level names there. So I'll yeah I'll do my thing and get a uh, chat there.
2: Okay. Well, that's yeah nice nice and easy to sort out. So I think that's probably okay for Tuesday. Yeah, I, I, feel like I think that's enough. To that. So on to Wednesday. Um. I'm, I'm not going anywhere, I've got newsletters <laughs> to send so um, I'm officially ruling myself out.
3: I've actually planned to go somewhere but that's not technically run for Green GB week but that nonetheless is a very worthy event um, to cover. It's the Fit for the Future Network Harvest mm-hmm. which is sort of an annual um, coming together of the network to sort of check on the progress of the last year um, network and galvanise some new action for the coming year. Okay. um that's mainly a network of charities but there are some businesses in there
1: as okay well. so hopefully a chat or two from there
2: right this so, is wednesday i'm getting confused already Who's yeah that, that's there? that's wednesday um i'm wary i haven't i'm not doing anything so far yeah, i would doing quite very like to... well at delegate yeah like exactly <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm embracing the new role what can i say um so i will
1: do something i mean on the Thursday. Uh, Luke you and I are in London anyway. Yeah we we're, we're, we're we can say this I suppose but it won't have been announced I think no. it's being announced next Monday the short list for our Sustainability Leaders Awards and we are ho- ho- co-hosting the judging of the awards up in London on Thursday so yeah I see where you're going here an opportunity yeah. to perhaps speak with someone.
2: Yeah I think so maybe either uh, one of the judges or um, I'm sure we'll have a, a fair few pledges come through by then as well so yeah. Okay. a lot of them probably done the base so I'll, I'll get on the phone um, as soon as we're done here okay. and make something happen this could go so wrong couldn't it just, <laughs> yeah. just so many things we rely be on be a very short 50th episode
1: right and then Matt will be this will be on the Thursday mm-hmm. and then we, is, is this it is there any more we're going to I mean
2: there's um, there's a pretty decent looking Aldersgate group event that uh, it's
1: evening actually I saw um, this one this looks like one of the highlights of the week yeah, yeah. I, do I think I'm, I'm going to stop, stop you there, and see there Matt.
4: George's oh. yeah, Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah
1: you can see my <laughs> um, yeah I mean
4: if, if you don't mind I'd like to put my name forward for this one it's a really strong event you've got BT's chief executive uh, Greg Clark and a number of high-level speakers so yeah I'd
2: love to go along to that. If possible. Okay. Pressure okay. on to deliver on that one.
1: Right. So, I think that's it then. We're going to meet back on Friday, back here in the office, because all of us are going to be now, from now, out and about, and then I think the only time we'll be back in the office is on Friday yeah, together. Yeah, that way. Um, so, handing over the kind of the virtual baton first, we give it to, uh, to Sarah to, to pop out to the Natural History Museum for her science-based targets chat. Uh, we're not going to come back into the studio, obviously, in between chats, so hopefully this will work and we'll sort of hand over to each other virtually, uh, and I'll see you all back here on, on Friday. So, let's see how this goes, shall we? <laughs> Okay, so over to you, Sarah, of the future.
3: Well, thanks, guys, for that introduction. Um, as you will have mentioned, I'm over at the Natural History Museum today for Science Day, the first day of Green GB Week. Um, but I'm not here to see Dippy the Diplodocus. I'm here for the first in the series of Green GB panel events which was about science-based targets. Um, So I've just seen a panel with speakers from the likes of the CDP, Unilever and um, Prince of Wales Corporate Leadership Group Um, and kindly joining me after this panel are two of the speakers BT's head of sustainable business policy Gabrielle Gina, hello. Hi. Um, And WWF senior policy advocacy advisor Jaco Datois, hello. Um, So if you could just, for our listeners at home, just recap um, a little bit more about how long you've been in your role, um, what you do and exactly how that would relate to
5: science-based targets. Hi, um, I've been in this role in BT for about nine years. Um, My primarily focus on environmental sustainability has been looking at Uh, carbon footprinting and BT's carbon reduction targets and that's because carbon is BT's most material impact. Mm. Um, I've also spent quite a bit of time working with our supply chain and our suppliers on uh, sustainable innovation. Mm -hmm. And same question to you.
6: So I've been with OBW for seven years Mm -hmm. Uh, most of the time was spent working on climate issues. I was very involved in the international negotiations on the Paris Agreement and then for a while pivoted from engaging governments on what they need to address climate change to helping corporates understand what those targets mean for them. And so during that time, I worked for the Science Based Targets Initiative um, as the corporate engagement manager to help companies get on board. And I'm currently working for WWF in the United Kingdom. Um, We've got a program on a 2020 global deal for nature and people.
3: Fantastic. Um, And then just coming back to yourself, Gabrielle, during the panel we had some great insight into BT's SBT journey which started, as you said, ahead of the curve um, quite quite a lot sooner than even the Paris Agreement back in 2008.
5: That, that's correct, yes. Yeah. So We actually set a science-based target already in 2008 which was to reduce our carbon emissions intensity by 80% by 2020 against the 1996 baseline. And we actually met this target four years early in 2016. So that meant that we needed to start looking at a new science-based target. And all of a sudden, everybody was talking about science-based mm-hmm. targets, which was, um, which was fantastic. And I think what, what the science has done is to be able for us to ground our targets in something real rather than something that could seemingly be random or you know, a target that rhymes with a year or something like that. So it was really good. Um, And obviously I think that can only continue now
3: with the IPCC's report we were talking about in the panel um, about how that is changing what the future holds for science based targets that the science has now shifted from 2C to 1.5C. So BT has historically been only one of three companies to set a 1.5C trajectory. Um, How do you see that changing after this report?
5: Yeah so in in, in September 2017 we set our our one and a half degree target and actually today to coincide with Green GB Week and, and Claire Perry's call on on the Committee on Climate Change to look at a net-zero future and what that would mean for the UK. We have actually announced a new net-zero target, uh, saying that our operations will be at net-zero carbon emissions by 2045. So we're hoping that the IPCC report, uh, us setting a net-zero target, what other companies are talking about today, as well as the government, will inspire more and more companies to come on this journey. Mm.
3: And could you just elaborate on some of the key steps that you'll be taking to get to that 2045 goal? I know you mentioned a lot about the importance of supply chain um, and scope three in that particular journey.
5: Yeah, there, actually, so our, our net zero target is only for our own operations. Mm-hmm. So we are looking at how we can go to 100% renewables. We're looking at how we can decarbonize our fleet and also how we can decarbonize our, our buildings and the rest of our business. That's really the focus for us.
3: Yes, great to hear such ambition from BT. Um, and then just back to you, Jaco, briefly. Um, I know you talked about WWF's founder role um, in this. Could you elaborate a bit more on this? Um, perhaps some people wouldn't see a organization that is primarily associated with biodiversity and nature conservation as having something to do with carbon.
6: Yeah, no, I'm glad to. I think for our organisation, we've realised a long time ago that it's not—we're not going to be to be successful in protecting species and animals if we don't understand how they interrelate with um, the real economy, how they interrelate with developmental concerns that people have. Um, and so, if you look at what's out there in terms of the science, we know that climate change is driving um, species extinction rates at, at a rate we've never seen before. And that if we don't address this problem, we will be losing um, all the other work that we have been doing as an, as an organization. Uh, so we see cl- addressing climate change as very much part of the solution to also protecting our um, natural spaces that we need uh, for the services that underpin our economies. Um, and if we, if we fail in this, we just saw in the 1.5 degree report, if we reach two degrees of global warming, we basically lose all coral in the world by the end of the century. With 1.5 degree, we retain a little bit of that coral and we have a 20 to 30 percent remainder, um, which we can hopefully use to rebuild this critical system that might be lost completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's...
3: Yeah, the differences between the 2C pathway and the 1.5C were really hammered home, I think. Quite striking as well for what, what might seem on the surface of it to members of the general public such a small difference. Um, just wanted to ask, sort of in light of that, what do you see going forward for the initiative then? Um, we heard today how there are now more than 490 companies signed up to the initiative, um, 800 more on top of that. Um, having pledged to set an SBT before two thousand twenty, um, against a goal of one thousand SBTI members by two thousand twenty, what? How do you see the action continuing from here until that point?
6: Yeah, so we're hoping to see more companies uh, take the lead from someone like BT and go ahead and set a one point five degree um, compliant target. Uh, We are going to start now that the science uh, around 1.5 degrees is more resolved and more clear We can give more companies guidance on how to achieve that Uh, So we are looking at making those methodologies and pathways available and we will be encouraging companies to set targets in line with 1.5 rather than 2 degrees because now it's much more clear that this is this is really about um, survival of critical places it is central to our economies um, and and it's too risky to go to two degrees we, we don't know what the world with uh, we don't know the full implications of what it's going to mean if we uh, hit a two degree world and, and everything that goes with that
3: hmm. so what's going to happen to the 2c advice will that still be available and will companies signing on now Still be able to adopt that, or is that going to be phased out? Um?
6: So there will be a transition period as well. Um, a lot of companies put a lot of work into setting targets in line with two degrees. Uh, we want to give them some time to implement those targets, uh, and also we will have to continue to work to improve the one point five degree guidance that we'll produce. Uh, but over time, we will be transitioning. Uh, don't know. We don't yet have a final timeline for when we might move completely away from two degrees, but we will be recognising that. that some companies will go further than that and will start setting 1.5 targets.
5: Just, just a, a, a final point, which I think we, we touched on today and which I think will become more of the discussion during Green GB Week. Um, what we're really are looking for here is some kind of systemic transformation. A company like BT, we can't meet these targets on our own. We need you know, We need investment, we need innovation, we need increased provision of low-carbon alternatives, and we need you know, the public and, and private sector to work together on this. So we're looking, I think, at, at, at a whole lot of dependencies, and that's going to be really exciting to see how that comes together and how that will happen.
3: Mm. I think the words used in the report were something like um, unprecedented. Trans- Systemic transformation. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right.
5: Exactly. So
3: very exciting times, I think. Mm, which can't happen in a vacuum, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, thank you to both of you for joining me today. Um, I'm now going to hand over to my colleague George, who is back on the news desk for a live phone-in with one of the other latest big-name businesses to have made a pledge. Um, but in the meantime, thank you to Jacka, and thank you to Gabrielle for joining me here at the Natural History Museum this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you very
6: much.
4: So, thank you there, Sarah. Yep, yeah, as mentioned, um, as part of Green GB Week, uh, we've had more than 30 businesses from across the country announce uh, an array of bold sustainability commitments, new commitments, I'll add, on the ED's virtual pledge wall. Uh, and this has taken the number of pledges that have been submitted through the Mission Impossible campaign to um, 50, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, so these new sustainable business commitments have been made by the likes of Barrett Development, DHL, EDF Energy, and KPMG, all of which have posted on Ed's Mission Possible pledge wall today. So fresh from those pledges going live on the website this morning, I'm delighted to say that I have one of the pledges on the phone with me now. Um, we have Andrea Nicholas, who's the managing director of Green Tourism and green tourism for any listeners who aren't aware is uh, an accreditation organization founded in Scotland originally developed uh, through partnership between Visit Scotland and Green Business UK uh, the organization partners with uh, more than 2000 eco-friendly accommodation providers and attractions in the UK and abroad uh, businesses are assessed against a set of criteria covering a range of areas including energy, water efficiency, waste management, biodiversity and uh, community involvement. So Andrea, great to have you on the phone now. Um, so perhaps the best place for us to start, very straightforward question, um, but what, it, what is the commitment that, um, that Green Tourism have made to the Mission Possible Pledge Rule?
7: Hi there. Um, well, we're extremely pleased and very proud to be able to announce today that we are going to uh, help over 5,000 hospitality businesses over the next 12 months significantly reduce their single-use plastic. Uh,
4: I mean, that's excellent to see. It's great to see the organisation making this really bold pledge on behalf of the hospitality industry. i uh, be interested to know Uh, why you've made this commitment uh, uh, and exactly what benefits we can expect to see from it. Mm
7: -hmm. Well, it's quite interesting. Um, We've been obviously monitoring people's interest in sustainability over the last few months, and in particular around the Blue Planet uh, programme that happened. And we've seen a 400% increase in businesses wanting to engage with sustainability and want to sign up to the Green Tourism Award. So we have... developed a new product, an online product called Green Check, where businesses can go on onto our website and find out how green they are. But we've also partnered with a large number of of industry-leading bodies, like UK Hospitality and UK Inbound. And we particularly want to help businesses identify where they can reduce single-use plastic, for instance, plastic straws, use of uh, single-use milk cartons in bedrooms, uh, Paper cups and plastic cups in sorry plastic cups in um, in event venues and things like that, and through our program we're going to engage with them and identify alternatives and helping them to reduce the single use plastic
4: okay and um so, you're going to work with with all these businesses, um, providing advice and guidance, can you maybe just give us a bit more info on what this advice looks like and, and exactly how you're going to be helping these organisations over the next year to achieve these goals?
7: Yeah, of course, of course. So. Some of the things are really, really simple and not not anything that's going to involve spending a lot of money. So take, for instance, plastic bottles and looking at alternatives for providing plastic bottles of water in bedrooms and thinking about just using tap water or giving people the option to refill their taps. And there's a whole refill campaign, so refill their bottles um, uh, in, in the uh, in the hotel or in the visitor attraction. Um, things like on the... Uh, welcome uh, tray in the rooms where you might have a single-use plastic for uh, milk, actually offering people the option of fresh milk, whether that's a jug or whether there's a, a milk machine in the, in the, uh, um, the corridor. It, it's, it's finding simple ways. Uh, plastic straws, I mean, it's, it's, everyone is going plastic straw free, uh, looking at alternatives, whether it's made from metal or it's made from Bamboo, or actually, not also get edible straws now, or actually, actually not even offering straws at all, and just having people
4: drink from glasses. Mm, mm. I mean, I mean, for many years now, we, we've 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 all uh, known the hospitality and leisure sector to be, you know, significant producer of waste, partic- particularly around plastics. Um, you mentioned there, you know, the like some hotels, you have these tea and coffee trays and, and bathroom toiletries. Uh, that's just some of the worst offenders you don't know there's many cafes still using plastic packaging for takeaway drinks and food I mean I mean we've been to a a lot of hospitality events and we know from first-hand experience it can you know it can sometimes be hard to control this waste Uh, you know you might have contract caterers for example Um, and and, and this is this is leading to it being a very complex issue so I'm interested to know exactly um, how you can make sure that this complex issue is is manageable for these organisations?
7: Yeah, it's, it's very interesting, actually, because obviously we've been talking about this, we've been running now for over 20 years, and it's been an issue for us right from the beginning. And there are the low-cost alternatives. But actually, what we have seen over the last... 12 months or so, is that there's significant change in actually people now demanding to have plastic-free bedrooms or plastic-free events. I mean, just look at the, the recent Royal Wedding. That was a plastic-free wedding. So what we're seeing is that the suppliers to the industry, through this pressure from their customers, are now starting to source and trying to produce uh, alternatives that are made from cornstarch or from some kind of biodegradable or bio. bio um, compostable products so we're working with organizations like vegware who produce a whole range of, of products to help uh, you know packaging and cups and things like that you can use in events um, and in, in restaurants that that are compostable and aren't going to contribute to the the plastic um, problem that we've got in in our oceans and a and lot of it is actually just education and and awareness and people thinking well people expect to have straws or people expect to have this in their room. But actually, I think more and more society and and visitors and guests are are not necessarily expecting it and actually welcome the opportunity to get involved with initiative when the the hotel says, well, we've actually not given you a plastic bottle because we're trying to avoid the problem that we've got in the world and, and this is the alternative we're offering. And we've seen a lot of businesses being much more... Uh, willing to, to pass that message on to their customers and their guests when in the past they might have felt that their guests were getting a reduced service because they weren't providing all of these uh, these uh, conveniences in their rooms.
4: Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, we've seen at ED, uh definitely visitors at hospitality firms uh, increasingly seeking out businesses and destinations with excellent green cred- credentials. I think TripAdvisor have got this filter on their website now uh, which lists you know the most sustainable and green hospitality firms Uh, and we've yeah we've definitely got this rise in consumer demand for green hospitality i mean it must make the job easier for you the fact um if you if you put the spin on it and say you know not only now is this good for the environment but it's also good for business yeah
7: absolutely And, and to be honest a lot of the, the 2,000 businesses we're currently working with and, and those that have have joined just very recently have always seen an opportunity for it being, being a better business option by being involved with a an advisory certification uh, body. But more so now, I think we're seeing businesses coming to us and saying, this is a marketing advantage now. I actually can demonstrate I'm getting significant increase in my uh, turnover and in my business because I've made this commitment. And it's not... Plastic is one issue. It's not the only issue. There's lots of others. Um, Some of the the big changes recently has been around things like people demand for local food and having more uh, provenance uh, information on menus. And and, and so the advice we give is it it covers the whole gambit of of sustainability. Uh, Just at the moment, obviously, plastic is a a very hot topic. Um, And definitely businesses are coming on board because they see the commercial advantage of having that marketing advantage of uh, a green award for them.
4: Uh, I mean, that's excellent to hear, you know, we've got the consumers on board, we've now got businesses listening and ramping up their efforts as well. I I think the fact that we're having this chat now in Green GB week, um, you know, this week, dedicated week of action put on by uh, the government to highlight the role of uh, clean clean growth uh, in the UK shows that, you know, government as well is starting to um, play its role in this agenda uh, maybe the question I'd put to you here is if, if there's one thing uh, you want to see policymakers doing to ensure green tourism thrives over the next uh, few years, what would that be? Maybe it might not be one thing, but, you know, what is the role of government here?
7: I think the role of government is around making sure that when people make green uh, statements and green um, promises that they're actually followed up and and can be credibly um, confirmed and verified. And I think that's where some of the dangers that we've seen over the last few years is that there are people who are greenwashing. You know, we have saying we're doing this, we're saying we're doing that. You know, maybe we've tried to do that, and it, it's it's it, they, they see there's an advantage of being a green. Uh, Business of having a green uh, statement on the website, but it's not actually being backed up So I think if government could do anything It's about making sure that there's proper standards that people can adhere to and that people can sign up to proper verified third-party Certification programs like green tourism
4: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree there. I mean this is fantastic to see this pledge that's been been made by green tourism I'm really excited to see how this develops um, now that we've got pledge Made uh, um, 12 months down the line who knows where we could be um, but I look, definitely look forward to hearing the progress that's been made so I'll, I'll thank you very much um, Andrea for your time on the phone now and uh, best of luck with, uh, with the pledge in the future Excellent,
7: thank you very much
4: Thanks Andrea So um, that's, that wraps up that conversation and um, I think in the next lap of our green gb week relay we're now handing over to luke who has gone to the green growth innovation summit and i believe he's um tracked down one of the delegates who's spoken to now so over to you luke
1: Okay, yeah, so uh, thanks very much, um, George. And uh, yes, I am here at the uh, Clean Growth Innovation Summit, uh, which has been put on by BASE, um as part of Green GB Week. Um, I've actually just arrived and uh, <laughs> come through the doors and managed to find uh, one of the uh, people I wanted to speak to here, uh, Juliet Davenport, Chief Executive of Good Energy. Hello, Juliet.
8: Hello, good morning.
1: Um, so thanks very much for, for joining us. I've just uh, yeah, gra- grabbed you very quickly because I know that you're uh, uh, you're very busy today you've just come out of a session i believe haven't you
8: yes we've just been talking about shaping the future of energy
1: yeah talk me through that
8: so what it was really asking the question is is um we're at we're at 30 renewable electricity now mm-hmm. which is big thumbs up in the uk great job we've done so far but have we done enough mm-hmm. and 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 the the question from the chair which i thought was great actually is well surely it's all working now do we need to do anything more and i think he got the response he was expecting from the panel which was Actually there's a lot of regulation that needs to get out of the way. Um, if we want to make a, a world where renewables can deliver at low cost, then we really need to think about the systems that are already in play, um, and actually how that infrastructure might get in the way, and, and, and how can we use it better, basically, and be really innovative in our approach.
1: And you mentioned some of the policy issues there. What? What are they drilling into? Those broadly speaking, uh, from kind of government, what would you like to see that would help us uh, accelerate that shift to this future energy system? So
8: I think I think one of the things that really has to be looked at is that we're talking about wanting more renewables in the system. We're talking about wanting more renewables in the heat system, but at the same time, there are pieces of regulatory change kind of going on in the background that get that are stopping that or slowing that down. And those are very small quite often and they're quite unseen. Um, and because the industry is so complex, it's very difficult for everybody to keep on top of them. So. I think part of the call was actually to make sure that um, government had sufficient capability internally to make sure it was taking a holistic view of some of these technologies and how they would be integrated. Okay.
1: And broadly speaking, this event is all about kind of innovation, technology, um, some of it, well, most of it in energy, it seems, and clean growth here. I mean, how, setting the context, first of all, thinking back only a week ago with the IPCC report coming through, it set, a, you know, another stark warning as to the, um the impacts of climate change happening around us. I mean, how crucial this sounds like a very loaded question, but <laughs> it pretty much is. But how crucial do you think technology and innovation is now um, for sustainability and energy within the business sphere?
8: So, I I think it is the next step. So, to a certain extent, we've done thirty percent. We've done a good job of that, mm-hmm. but. It's not, it's not, it wasn't all low-hanging um, fruit, but it was, it was in that range. The next step, we've got to make some quite fundamental shifts. And, and I think part of that, when it, one of the pieces of research we've recently done looks at the fact that 85% of consumers or, uh, or people in the UK would like to do something green. Mm-hmm. They, they have environment in their, in their. they want to make it as part of their choice. But they're not really enabled or empowered to do that. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because the energy conversation in the UK has always been about price. with consumers. We've never actually had the conversation that energy has an impact on the environment. Mm. Um, And we've never really empowered individuals um, to do anything about it. Now, businesses have taken a different track. So we've seen the RE100, we've seen that BT, I think, just announced going zero carbon. So there's some great leadership we're seeing in business, but we're not really seeing that filter through. And I think government has... A role to change the conversation and I think that will then help regulation Mm -hmm. because if we're changing the conversation with the consumer we're then changing the way we deliver energy services to the consumer Mm.
1: and do you think as uh, kind of extending on that the conversation that's happening within business do you see that's sort of playing out in a similar fashion is there a little bit of kind of institutional sort of inertia in place that's stopping businesses make the shift to renewable energy I mean why aren't all businesses and energy managers kind of making that shift what do you see that's kind of stopping them
8: so so I think a lot of that is about leadership so so when you have if you're big enough to have a procurement department Mm -hmm. um, good procurement has particular rules to it price is really at the top but sort of providers and (laughs) and support And and green is normally an add-on, and I think it takes leadership from the top, from the CEOs and the MDs of companies, really, to go out there. And, and, and either tweet if they can't get through, mm. or or state that they want to take this forward as a key policy. And, that, and I think boards as well have a real responsibility, a moral responsibility mm. um, uh, to society to make these changes in their companies. So I think there's still a call to action for, for other organisations, organisations of all sizes, doesn't mm. just have to be big
1: ones. Okay, and uh, we've well, yeah, been five minutes, I, I want to uh end with a question, um, I have to ask you this question about kind of uh, en- energy storage uh, yes. and its relationship to this whole discussion about yeah. renewable energy and the shift. It's, um, it's, it's massive in our sphere. It seems to be every week that we're writing about another statistic that's coming about about the future of energy storage. We've only seen a f- handful of kind of end user businesses um, actually deploying it of late. Um, so there seems to just be this gap between a lot of kind of conversation about it being the next Rhetoric, big thing yes. yeah, and, and businesses then actually Taking it up, I just yes. wanted to get what your your view on this. As a well,
8: company. it's, a, it's a quite a big shift in a business model. Mm. So um, we we are we're working on a pilot project down at Eden with a sort of up to a one megawatt battery,
5: okay.
8: um, the Eden project down in Cornwall, yep. and um, the the economics work, but they're not straightforward, and they start keep shifting as as the market market keeps slightly. um and depending on the site, they're quite site-specific as well. So if there's complexity on the site, that can add cost to it. Mm. Um, but I think we're going to see some breakthroughs in some of the electronics in terms of the control of the batteries, reducing capital cost of batteries. Um, but we're we, part of why we're doing this as a pilot project with our us investing, putting our capital behind it, is because we know trying to get capital in from outside is going to be really tough. Mm. So we want to make these first decisions ourselves, really play with them and test them out and get the business model to work. We Do you think that will help us break through some of this inertia we're seeing?
1: Well, thank you very much, Juliet. I appreciate this is very ad hoc. I just grabbed you on the sidelines here at this event. And I must admit, this is the first podcast interview I've done without any questions in front of me. But I think that was a nice, flowing conversation about um, energy. Um, Thanks very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Okay, so um, sticking with the theme of the future, I think I'm now going to be handing over to uh, Sarah, who's at the Fit for the Future uh, event, uh, which I think is over on another side of London. And this is going to be on Wednesday. So uh, Sarah of the future. uh, over to you.
3: Well, thank you for that introduction, Luke. So, Luke, as he's mentioned, has just been at the Green Growth Innovation Summit in London on Tuesday. Um, so, I'm back in rainy L- London for Wednesday session. Um, this time, hosted for the Fit for the Future Network. Um, for those of you who don't know the network, it's a um, it's a collaborative platform involving 102 organisations um, and 607 environmental practitioners from all across the UK. Lots of different sectors, but with a main focus on charities, NGOs, and not for profits. Um, and The Harvest is their annual event that they host for networking, collaboration, and celebrating the achievements of the past year while looking ahead to the future. Um, so, after the morning session of The Harvest, I'm here with Adnam's Head of Sustainability and Finance, Richard Carter. Good afternoon, Richard. Hi, Sam. So, Richard has just been speaking on a panel along with the likes of Zero Carbon World, the British Heart Foundation, Historic Environment Scotland, the Diocese of Southwark, and the University of Manchester. Um, But we'd know him probably in more of the business sense. Um, So, could you shed a little light on your involvement with the network?
9: Yeah, sure. Um, as you said, I'm responsible for all of the operational finance and also our sustainability agenda at, uh, at ADNAMS. That's quite an unusual role. I don't know if anybody else that, that has that dual remit. Uh, and of course, that, that, that's quite interesting for other organisations, uh, whether they're profit-making or not. And so I was asked to become a board member of the uh, Fit for the Future network. Uh, partly to advise and, and, and guide on the financial strategy side but also really to introduce a, a degree of collaboration across sectors which we'll perhaps talk about in a minute uh, and it is uh, it is no mistake that, that that collaboration and working together is one of the sustainable development goals uh, we at Adams have certainly done a great deal by working with other organisations. And that's why we're so keen to be a part of and and to support networks such as this.
3: Um, And that sort of steals the word out of my mouth for the next question, which is, why should a business angle be involved in a network focused on these charities, NGOs, and not-for-profits? I mean, what, what on the flip side, are some of the benefits that you've seen from these organisations that you've collaborated with?
9: Well, of course, the fact that we're making a, 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 a profit where these other organisations uh, have you know, different purposes, doesn't detract from the fact that we must all take our environmental and our social responsibilities very, very seriously. Uh, really, we're just talking about you know the, the the final bit in that in that end game, you know where the, the money finally ends up. So I think people perceive there to be a great deal of difference between the commercial and the, the NGO or the, the, the charitable sector when perhaps that's not necessarily the case. Uh, and of course there's only so much that we can learn from competitors and peers in our own industries. Uh, the National Trust, for example, do some phenomenal work in sustainability that we at Adams can learn an awful lot from and uh, I would like to think vice versa.
3: Um, And indeed, the topic of the um, presentation that Richard just gave at the panel, for those of you at home that might not have been at today's event, um, was about a case study with the National Trust, where yourself and Ben um, from ADNAMS, one of our previous um, Sustainability Leader um, Award winners, um, headed, headed over to Wales for a conversation about electric vehicles, marine source heat pumps and micro hydro technology that ultimately turned into something more and helped ADNAM rethink the circular economy principles and how they apply to their business. Um, could you just do a brief recap on <laughs> on that presentation. Yeah,
9: that's exactly right. Um, As you probably know, Adams is on almost the uh, most easterly point of the UK. It's also one of the driest parts of the country. Our rainfall Mm. is a little bit lower than that of uh, Jerusalem. So what are we doing travelling 300 miles to almost the most westerly point of, of Wales to see the National Trust in Anglesey? Uh, as you say, really? We went to look at micro hydro uh, because we've got a lot of water flows through our brewery. We thought we may be able to generate some, some energy from that. We wanted to talk to them about electric vehicles and, and, and charging networks. While we were there, we looked at marine source heat recovery. Uh, the National Trust had done a lot of work on this. They're extracting the latent heat from, in this case, the Menai Straits, uh, to heat one of their mansions, Plas Newark. And we thought we might be able to adopt that same technology uh, we're very, very close to the North Sea. We thought we could remove some of the latent heat from the North Sea to power perhaps the, the Swan, which is our mm. flagship hotel in in, in Southwold. Now, yeah. it's a long drive home from, from Wales, so Ben and I had uh, the opportunity to, to let some of these ideas sort of percolate and um, uh, you know chew the fat a little bit. And what we concluded was that actually we've, um, we've got some spare heat in our distillery. Uh, we can capture that. And use it to uh, preheat one of the the brews in our in our brewery. Uh, so same sort of technology, but combining it with some other equipment that will help us to reduce the water footprint of our distillery by around 50%. Uh, it will also reduce our energy consumption by 12 to 15%. So it really is bringing together the uh, the ingredients of our sustainability strategy. Uh, It is helping to reduce our cost base and it's providing great business resilience insofar as uh, our water use is restricted. Uh, We want to do more with our water, Uh, for example introducing Ghost Chip, alcohol free, which is um, a a pretty revolutionary new product. We we de-alcoholise an existing beer. Mm -hmm. We're very, very unusual in doing that, but it's a fairly water intensive process. And in our opinion, we need to be um, developing products such as that to keep up with the market. Uh, So it's really interesting that Ben and I should go and climb a mountain in Wales. uh, (laughs) And then the the final effect of that is that we launch a a, a new market-leading product.
3: Well, that really covers it all, doesn't it? From um, sustainable finance, sustainable water, sustainable nutrition even um, in the beer. Um, so I'm going to be handing over shortly for the rest of Green GB Week. But as Richard has pointed out kindly to me for ADNAMS, isn't that every week?
9: Yeah, pretty much. I think the business case is so clear and so strong for sustainability uh, that this is not a bolt-on project for us at ADNAMS. It is firmly embedded in the, uh, the culture of the organisation. Uh, and you know, this is just one project of very, very many.
3: Well, some inspirational words of wisdom (laughs) to conclude our chat on there. Um, So next on our podcast recorder's roving journey for Green GB Week, it's going to be headed elsewhere in London over to Matt, who is meeting with someone from PWUC, one of the latest big-name companies to make a pledge through our Mission Possible Wall.
2: Uh, thank you very much for that, Sarah. So, yes, uh, I finally get to be a part of this podcast for Green GV Week. Everyone else has been frantically running around, and I've been pretty much uh, shackled to to the desk uh, at the office. But I, I've been up in London um, for the latter part of this week for our own uh, judging purposes, which you guys listening at home will be able to hear about soon enough, so do look out for that. Um, but uh, a stone's throw over over the river... I have caught uh, up with one of our most recent uh, pledges, pledges. I think it's pledges uh, to the Mission Possible Pledge Wall, and it's a big one at that. I'm I'm talking to the director of uh, CSR at PwC, uh, Bridget Jackson. So, Bridget, thank you uh, for, for inviting me first to the PwC offices in the aptly named 1.5 uh, meeting room with the IPCC uh, reports earlier this week. Um, a busy week for you as well, I'm assuming as well as, as Edie.
10: It is indeed it's exciting isn't it? all the different pledges that are coming out and the things that we're hearing businesses are doing.
2: Um, obviously about midweek through midway through the week sorry we received uh, PWC's um, big pledge uh, around uh, surrounding kind of offsetting uh, travel emissions and also the big the big kind of renewables uh, commitment as well that's been made. Um, we were having a little chat before we started recording and it sounded like you've been busy at work. A lot of, a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls to all over the world to, to get this signed off. Just a little bit of uh, insight into, I suppose, the internal process of getting such a big goal signed off in, in such a important week, but also quite a short week.
10: Yeah, so it's exciting for us and we're delighted to announce the new um, global commitments that we've made for the firm. And just to briefly touch on what those are, you know, this is all about tackling our carbon footprint uh, in light of the IPCC report that we had last week and also the uh, PwC Low Carbon Economy Index, both of them pointing in the same direction, which is we've got about a decade in which to take action to mitigate climate change and the, um, the worst ravages of that. So it's been quite a long process to get to where we are today Um, We've spent about 18 months, I guess, uh, with all the different territories in the PwC network, working on uh, an ambition to negate our carbon footprint by 2022. So that comprises, as you would expect, continuing to drive efficiencies and to cut our total absolute carbon emissions. But then over and above that is to go 100% renewable electricity by 2022 in all our major territories, and also to offset our carbon emissions associated with air travel, where that's unavoidable um, using verified offsets, and that's started already, so we've committed to do it, we've put okay. contracts in place, and we started in July.
2: it's always, always think, a very basic term when I hear kind of businesses signing up to go 100% renewable, I always think, oh, that's surely not that hard. You just change the bulb. But then, I, I, then I, I realise and appreciate, especially for a global company like PwC, yeah. all the different regions, all the different territories that you operate, and make that so complex. So, do you do you kind of when once he has been signed off and like, okay, yeah, we're good to we're good to announce this target. Do you do you necessarily know how you're going to do everything, or is it a case of, will um, this actually gives us scope to work outside our own our own offices and, and work with others to help bring... Uh, renewables either online in other areas or or really drive the conversation elsewhere?
10: So it'll be a combination as you might imagine. There are territories that have been doing this for years, the UK and the US for example have been working on these sorts of um, carbon mitigation and the contracts to go renewable for 11 years. So we've got skills, we kind of know how it works in some of the territories but you're absolutely right, it's different by territory and some of them don't have the renewables immediately available or it's harder to contract for it so what we said is that ideally we'll be contracting directly for renewables into our business and where that's really not possible by 2022 we'll use energy attributable certificates uh, to top up and make sure that you know we're negating the full impacts.
2: Great and I suppose it'd just be um, nice to get some insight into what else PwC have been up to this week in regards to that green gb week it's been it's been everywhere you're involved as a media partner but it, it seems i uh, i can't go around the corner without some company or some sort of announcement being made around green GB, green gb so, so yeah what's what's pwc's um involvement or even just thoughts on the whole week been so far
10: i think it's a great week uh, to showcase what people are doing to catalyze people to do more um as a bit of a rallying cry and also for us all to take a moment of reflection mm and think about whether we can do more. You know, business is a huge power for good, it's a force for good. Um, if we can just move the super tankers, then we can all go off in the right direction and I think we could have a collective impact that's much bigger than some of the parts. But we've got to double down, we've got to we've got to move faster, we've got to accelerate the pace of change.
2: Yeah, and I think there's, um, as much as we are involved um, in Green GB, there is a danger of when you kind of dedicate a, a period of time or a week to something that... There's a real kind of groundswell, a buzz around it, and then it kind of just drifts off a little bit. I think I actually noticed it when the Paris Agreement was kind of signed for the immediate months following. Everyone was talking about it. It went quiet again, and now it's getting brought up as we're kind of moving towards key kind of conferences. Um, Obviously, this is just a week, and it's just about um, promoting the ethos of clean energy and sustainability as a whole. But um, the, the emphasis is on companies like ourselves, Edie, um to, to keep checking that this is still a driving narrative. So so I suppose when a company like PwC, they announce one of these new commitments, uh, and they announce it during Green GB week where everyone's talking about it, how do you then, I suppose, keep that momentum going once the original announcement's been been embedded and then the kind of, I don't want to say hype, but the original noise around it starts yeah. to die down a bit?
10: Yeah, obviously these sorts of um, occasions and weeks are really important. Um, to get the momentum and to, um, to really commit to making change happen. But as you said, you know, you've got to know roughly where you're going. We spent quite a lot of time thinking about what would we need to do and how would we actually achieve this. We've underpinned it by joining the RE100, which will commit all of our territories to going 100%. Renewable, And as you know, that it means every year we're going to have to report on how we're doing. So we start with a baseline of 60% renewable electricity and we've got 40% to go.
1: Great. I'm very interested
2: to see how that progress goes as well. And we touched on it uh, briefly, very briefly, the IPCC report, the, 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 I suppose, the the warnings and the, the opportunities around that 1.5c target. Um, I just wanted to get your opinion on that. I'm, I'm of the belief that it's going to be a bit of a, a kind of, dial shifter in the sense that it's it's kind of highlighted what we I think a lot of the people in the business sphere around sustainability knew that 1.5c was the more ambitious target and probably the more required one um, but this has kind of brought to life some real severity around it, there's been a lot of um, noise around how the science based targets initiative will start offering more advice to encourage businesses to go 1.5c along with the 2c, um, the likes of BT, now straight away net zero carbon but uh, it's mid 2040s um and it just seems that that's that's kind of acted as a real warning and businesses are really driving that you um i think the last time we spoke you were uh, it was the summer and you were just off on a a sabbatical you came back in my month ago and all of a sudden this this accelerated um warning around global climate has come back has that given you much time to kind of um get yourself back into the rhythm of of a normal working regime or is it like oh okay not just my back but now the Now the the pressure's on to really increase our ambitions. You
10: know, I think that it was interesting because I went on a similar sort of personal journey over the summer and when I moved into this area and shifted my career 10 years ago, I really came into it wanting to make a difference and particularly around climate and so over the summer I was reflecting on well, this is what I made the move for so now I personally have to become more vocal, we have to push harder, we have to do more, we have to ratchet it up. I think the IPCC report is really interesting because for some people, there's a danger isn't there that it might put some people off. On the other hand for those who are already doing it, it sets the bar even higher and it works well in that regard. For those who aren't doing it then I think it brings together a lot of what we're witnessing slowly in the world and. It does just well. Hopefully, it will act to shake people out of complacency, um, and br- will bring us all together.
2: That's, um, yeah, I think it's really g- a good mindset to have of something that's not necessarily a, a great report to look at in terms of of um, okay, we're doing well. It's it's kind of highlighting the fact that it more needs to be done, and it's it's really great to be able to turn that challenge into opportunities. You've just done, um, Bridget. I feel like we could talk about this for hours, and, and as much as I'd like to, I'm wary. Of, I've got to hand this back over to George, who I um believe is at um an orders gate group event and he's gonna grab air a few times i think with bt actually one of the one of the companies that um has has announced a new goal this week as well so um thank you very much for your time i'm sure it won't be long until we're, we're back in touch again great to see you Thanks Matt, it's a
4: Thursday evening and we're now hurtling towards the end of the government's Green GB week. Um, I would say we're in a pretty fitting location to wrap up proceedings. Uh, we're at BT Centre Auditorium, uh, head office of a business that has in many ways led the clean growth agenda in recent years, none more so than through its uh, pioneering adoption of a science-based target to help limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. Uh, So we're here for an event organised by the Aldersgate Group, uh, which looked at Britain's clean growth strategy over the last 10 years. Um, And the event's just finished, we've heard some stellar speakers, uh, including BT's Chief Executive, Gavin Patterson, and the Secretary of State for Bayes, Greg Clark. Um, It's been a great opportunity uh, to celebrate business success and the low-carbon agenda and look at the challenges that we face ahead. So now here on the sidelines of the event. I'm glad to say that I've been joined by not one, but two members of the uh, BT team. So sitting alongside me is BT's... Chief Digital Impacts and Sustainability Officer, Andy Wells, and the company's Chief Procurement Officer, Harry Sunderson. So great to have both of you guys with me. Thanks along for inviting us on to a fantastic event. Um, I wonder if either of you two had any initial thoughts or key takeaways on, uh, on tonight's event, some of the points made in the room that really resonated with you. <laughs>
11: Yeah, um, so I think it was a, it was obviously been a great week, it's the first um, green GB week. I think what has impressed me about the way that's been organised uh, in government and particularly what we saw from Bayes tonight and Greg Clark is the kind of energy that the um, the alliances of businesses have brought together, the commitments we've seen from some businesses, obviously BT made their net zero carbon announcement this week. Um, and, the you know, the energy in the room tonight, I thought, was quite strong. Mm. And in, in a global climate debate that has, you know, has been challenging in the last few weeks with the IPCC report, with one or two other, you know, countries considering their, their role in Paris. Um, actually, I thought it was, you know, the energy is good, the the commitments are there. Um, and you also started to see some interesting conversations across the sectors and up and down supply chains. And I thought that was very promising.
0: Harry, mm-hmm. anything to add there? I thought it was very positive and I, I thought the frankness of some of the speakers as well because mm. the challenges they put to the Secretary of State yeah. were very mm. interesting uh, the case for change is very strong mm. um, and I think there's a lot of governmental help can not just legislate but encourage businesses to work differently so I thought that was very interesting and positive Mm, no, and, and I should add, I
11: mean, I think the, obviously the way the government set the tone for the week by by asking the panel on climate change to think about a net zero target for the UK, mm-hmm. I thought was a good way to kind of set that context for business.
4: No, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's great to have this opportunity to look at business success over um, the last 10 years without obviously getting too self-congratulatory. Of course. Um, obviously, we've still got a long way to go. You mentioned there the IPCC report um, gave a stark warning about the future risks of climate change. Um, but, you know, we do need to recognise the hard work that has been done over the last 10 years. And I wanted to turn to you first. I mean, uh, you've been leading sustainability strategies now, for FTSE companies, FTSE 100 companies for the past 20 years or so. Uh, how would you describe the progress in that time in terms of the corporate community uh, action on low-carbon economy during that period? And uh, I suppose as a secondary uh, question to that, does the progress, make,
11: does the progress made uh, make you optimistic for the future? Uh, yes, and yes, I think so. I think when you, if I look back, look back twenty years of my my career, <laughs> gosh. Um, Yes. So I, th- I think often things feel like they're a bit, small, a bit slow when they're starting a business. So if I think back to the late 90s and the Blair government then was talking a lot about resource productivity mm. and decoupling economic growth from environmental impact. And for the first two or three years, you know, obviously not a, not a, not a massive amount of immediate progress happened at, at that stage. Mm-hmm. And people started to think maybe this was going to you know, not be the solution. I think you look back now 20 years later, plus actually, Um, And business has achieved a huge amount and and I think you know there's a general sense that at least business is leading this alongside government alongside NGOs and and academics if not in certain cases ahead of Mm. Um, and I think that that's been a big change it's taken it's taken that 20 years partly because it takes time for business to really integrate into its strategies to get you know the real functional leaders like like Harry for us in procurement Mm. to to kind of drive the business side of this through their functions which, which is critically important um, but I think, I think yes I think there's quite a lot to celebrate I think in particular the businesses that are starting to set either science based or go slightly further and do net zero targets mm. uh, is important because it's at the systemic level and we need to look at that systemic level sector by sector up and down supply chains and mm. I think we're starting to see that happen now and that's got momentum and despite some of the challenges you know, obviously from certain countries around Paris um, that's continuing and in fact growing and I think that's, that's pretty exciting and the final thing I'd say is about cities and I think that um, you know, it's, great, it's been great to see the leadership from the cities and states uh, in the last couple of years around climate, C40 and some of the new groupings, um, and of course cities as urbanisation continues are pretty big and important strategic areas for big companies. Mm-hmm. So I think there's an interesting set of alignments between, you know, cities, corporate leaders and others, and, and I think we will continue to see that grow.
4: Great. And uh, Harry turning to you, you've had uh, overall responsibility for VT supply chain programmes for the best part of a decade. Um, widely recognized that BT has taking great strides to uh, bring the supply chain along uh, with it uh, towards a low carbon future, whether that's for you um, encouraging suppliers to buy renewable electricity, uh, building on your su- uh, successful BT Better Future um, supply. supply Forum, um, and I, I'm sure you'll touch upon that. But this is a this is a forum which drives the uh, energy efficiency and carbon reduction agenda um, by sharing best practice. Um, just again, reflected on progress during your time at BT. Um, uh, we know s- supply chains are like a, generally a sticking point for companies. Uh, it's generally an area where Um, companies may not have good visibility data uh, on their impacts or aren't sure how to translate ambitions into credible targets this hasn't quite been the case with BT you've done a really good job but I mean talk about your time uh, as
0: yeah uh, I think let's not say it's been an easy ride it Mm. looks very rosy now and I think we've got a very positive future it has been tough and I would say that the challenges have been both internal and with the supply chain uh, before we when we adjudicate a supplier to say do you want to be a supplier we do a tender and we say you're top of the list we have adjudication criteria years ago we had zero percent on sustainability mm. when i started this role it was five percent during my tenure we brought it up to ten percent that means it's five percent less for other things like is the price right does it do what it, we want it to do and so on so ten percent is a large amount uh, of what we assess uh, for supplies to come into our uh, infrastructure, so that is that plays a big part, and that's also in a communication and an acknowledgement with the business. We've got all the things that you want it to do, and at the right price, this is important as well. So mm-hmm. there's been a culture change mm-hmm. within the business to say sustainability matters. We have a m- number of measures in that. Um, and that, that I would say has been more like a stick to suppliers, suppliers are very aware of that because they always want to know how you're judging me, is it worth bidding? But if I bid and I want to win, how am I going to be ranked and what what are the key things they're looking for? Mm. So there's been an education into our supply base on why is it we, we think it's important, what is it we judge to be important um, in terms of that journey. The second style, uh, and that's more like a stick to the supplies. Mm. These, the, other, the side we also look for in terms of the carrot is to coach our supplies to get better and you mentioned the better supply future forum um, and that one we rank our supplies at gold silver bronze and we don't publish that publicly but we tell them they all want to be gold and there's a self-assessment tool which judges you know why are they are with their, on their status and with that status, with that tool, they can also see how they need to improve. So there's a there's a, you know, a case of change and wanting to be the best suppliers for us. They get awards for that. But also, what do they need to do to be different? I and mean, it's so much so this tool that we have, the assessment tool, has been used by an in, um, industry forum called Quest, uh, that they're rolling out globally uh, because they think it's best to breed. If I just give you one example of this as an action, mm. um, Recently we signed a deal with a big network equipment manufacturer, where what we said was over the lifetime of the contract, and we put this contract clauses in, we would like you to significantly reduce your carbon footprint. They signed up to it, so it's contractual, Mm -hmm. and we think over the lifetime of the contract they're going to save something like 133,000 tonnes, which is about 6,000 cars off the road. Mm. So that, these are big, big steps that we're doing, and these are big companies that we're dealing with. They will have a supply chain of maybe hundreds of suppliers servicing their needs for the products we're buying. Mm. So this is a ripple effect. Mm. So like I said, there's a lot of things going on, but it'd been a multi-year journey to get there. Mm. It's, it's not been straightforward, and you need to have resilience, you need to have leadership from the top saying, this is what we want to do, and then the, you know, the will to make it happen. Mm. You know, all our buyers in my team know about this. People across the company who buy or engage my team know about this. And most importantly, the supply chain knows about this.
4: Excellent. Um, so that, that's a really good um, update in terms of the progress made by BT, especially in supply, the supply chain. Um, we started Green GB week uh, with, a, with a bit of a bang actually, with BT pledging to become a net zero uh, carbon business by 2045. Fantastic commitment uh, and no mean fee considering uh, the firm, Currently, purchase, I think about 1% of the UK's annual electricity yep. is incredible. Um, so, I mean, how do you really feel knowing that you've got these radically bold targets in place? But potentially, you know, the innovations, mechanisms that are going to get you there may, may not be in place yet, may not even exist. Are quite quite a daunting uh, task, I would imagine.
11: Yeah, I think, um, so I think probably the thing that has enabled both setting at the, the 1.5 degree target we set last year, which is an 87% reduction, by 2030, and then the net zero carbon target by 2045. This week, I think what's partly enabled that has been the progress we've made, both in three ways actually: uh, the, the procurement work that, that Harry's talked about, the renewable energy purchase, which we're over 80% now, will be at 100% by 2020, um, and then the cost savings we've made, mm. you know, more than more than a quarter of a billion over the years um, through the energy efficiency work. And so I think, you know, all of those add up together to a kind of a story that was a big stretch, but, but became doable. Um, obviously, we've kind of lifted the bar again to 2030 and now further to 2045. And yes, there will be some things we'll need to work on with government, with partners in the supply chain, um, with, you know, those who might supply EV charging infrastructure in the UK, um, those who might help us actually understand how, you know, there are new solutions for things like green gas for buildings. So there's, a lot, there's lots of obstacles and challenges to overcome. But I think unless you unless you put those big goals out there unless you stretch yourself mm. um, you, you you know you don't obviously don't uh, make enough progress if you don't do that and we found you know that the original target that was set by my predecessors many moons ago in 1996 to um, to cut emissions by eighty percent by 2020 we achieved four years early mm. in, in 2016 and so that that I think it shows you those big stretch targets can be met yeah and, and you know, back in 1996 I imagine that felt pretty impossible with mm. the uk's power mix then so I think you know um I feel, I mean, it'll be a huge, we'll both be very busy, but uh, but I'm pretty optimistic.
4: Yeah, I um, I chaired a webinar today on cyberspace targets, and uh, one of your colleagues, Gabrielle Gina, she mm. was there. And the, the key message that came out of that webinar was that we as a business community need to go past uh, doing what's incrementally less bad and aim, instead aim for doing what's exponentially more good for our environment, you know, and this relates to space targets, all other things. But, um, Harry, just touching upon the point that's just been made, I mean, you've got this science-based target to reduce emissions associated with supply chains by 29% by 2030.
0: How are you going to get there? I think, um, so the examples I've given you, I'm you know, quite, quite confident that we will do it. I think we've got all the fundamentals in place, we've got the foundations in place, um, and I think internally we see ourselves as a force for good. This is, we want to do this, mm. you know, it's part of our purpose of our company. Mm. So I have no problem internally uh, getting support and wanting to do this. And what we're seeing externally in the supply chain, BT recognises companies who help us in this journey. So that's a positive good for, uh, force for good for change as well. I'd probably also like to think from you know, today's event, mm-hmm. we probably need to publicise what we do more with like the, the likes of Alders Group going forward mm-hmm. so that they can see how we're doing it, and if the industries follows across various sectors and, uh, and the kind of practices, I think the uh, the dominoes will start falling down. So I'm confident we'll get there mm. because this it, this is going to happen. This is an unstoppable force.
4: Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, so last point I wanted to touch upon here. Um, we heard from uh, Greg Clark today. Uh, talking about you know, the opportunities through clean growth. Uh, the fact that he comes here to these sort of events uh, and talks with such enthusiasm about the opportunities the UK's clean growth agenda is hugely encouraging, I find. Um, but I think the important thing here is that once Green GB week's over, the dust is settled, um, the government business community doesn't just go away and you know, forget about the positive messages. Uh, around clean growth uh, which has been spread this week and just you know just carry on with the business-as-usual approach so I'll put the question here to both of you Uh, if Greg Clark was sat right here right now uh, what would your message be to him you know what's your top priority to ensure that we don't continue as business as usual and we step up you know our ambition and action
0: well it was was interesting I did catch Greg for a couple of minutes before the session uh, and my request to him was One, if where suppliers want to service the government, this whole sustainability isn't part of the OJEC process formally. So, number one, uh, can you think about legislation? Will take time. One, can you think about legislation on this? Uh, But the second thing, in terms of the uh, government, have got a few areas where they have leaderboards, they name and shame. Mm -hmm. It's not legislative, you don't have to do it, but you have to show your reporting to say where you are. And I think there's, that we uh, we're trying to encourage government to say, think about policy where you say expose what you're doing, and let's see how you can rank by sector and across sectors. Uh, so that was my request to him. Which uh, let's see what comes of it. Mm, no, definitely. And you any point of-
11: I'd I'd just add that you know the UK is pretty obsessed by productivity at the moment, primarily labour productivity, but actually you know. Technology and what, how that can improve productivity for the, the country overall is pretty critical. Uh, in, in the new political situation we find ourselves in, let's not use that B word. Um, and so, you know, it's important for us as a big uh, communications and, and telco company, for you know, to get the UK as productive as we can. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, help people build their digital skills. Yes, um, use the use the kind of technology solutions we're developing. But all of that should go hand in hand with a much lower carbon approach. And I think you know, if we can consider the carbon dimension of productivity and the gains that can drive, I think that would be a good strategic thing for government to think harder about. Most definitely.
4: Right, I think that's it now. That about wrapped it up. So Andy, Harry, thank you very much for thank speaking with me. It's been a, a really insightful experience. Uh, so as I said, that wraps things up here. So now it's back to the studio where Luke, Matt, Sarah will be joined by my future self uh, to discuss some of our own personal highlights from Green GB.
1: Well, I... Uh there you go thank you very much uh to the ghost of green gb week past george and hello george uh of the future and in fact the whole ed team of the future we are now back in the studio it's friday the 19th of october uh we've reached the end of green gb week sadly um but uh yeah i suppose on the bright side we can now go and get a good night's sleep because i think we're all pretty um, pretty knackered but what a week it's been um I'm joined here obviously Matt Sarah George all here Matt I mean highlights of, of the week
2: uh, yeah okay thank you for starting me on that one <laughs> there's been so much to really kind of digest mm. across the week um, but I think for me and it's it's not so much just based on Green GB week but also on the IPCC report from last week is the mm. renewed kind of focus on this 1.5 mm-hmm. C target you would have heard me and uh, myself and Bridget talking about it mm-hmm. um, as part of our chat but You've seen the government acknowledging the need for kind of net zero targets, BT coming out of that brand new net zero ambition, and it's just much more prominent in discussions now, whereas before I think a lot of um, a lot of companies and people were happy to say two, we're going for 2C, which is the minimum mm. uh, for target for the Paris Agreement. So it's nice to see that that report and Green GB week kind of merge to galvanise a new sense of ambition.
1: Yeah, and the Science Based Targets Initiative at one of the events this week as well also stating that they're planning on releasing new tools that will at least assist businesses towards that 1.5 degree future. Yeah, good. Sarah, you were out and about a fair bit. I was, but Mm. Matt
3: sort of stole the words from my mouth because the Natural History Museum panel on Monday about science-based targets was very much following... Um, the same line, so at risk of repeating everything that Matt has (laughs) said, I'm going to go for a cop-out answer and just say that my highlight was seeing so much new business action being made Mm. through our Mission Possible pledge wall. I think we're up to 65 um, new business commitments Mm. as of this afternoon.
1: Yeah, and you then stole the words out of my mouth because I was going to mention that as well, but yeah, that's obviously a massive highlight of the week, isn't it, for us? and I guess, yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll touch on that in a moment because, George, I wanted to get your highlight as well before I did.
4: Yeah, I'm, I didn't go to as many events as, as Sarah, but the one I went to yesterday, the Aldersgate Group event, mm-hmm. I felt it was really good from the perspective that this was really high level. We are in the auditorium at BT Tower, obviously made that huge commitment at the start of the week. They had their chief executive speaking there, talking about how important sustainability is to their right. business operations. You look around all... The auditorium, and you've got CEOs from all these huge companies. It just shows how far we've come uh, even in the last few years. Mm. The fact that Greg Clark was there and he puts himself at these events and speaks with such enthusiasm, speaks Mm. so articulately about the importance of clean growth, just really inspires you with optimism. I think the point now is that we can't just go away from this week and put it to one side. We need to make sure that we sustain that. I saw
1: something in the week like. posted up actually it was a press release we received you might have seen it i don't want to mention why you know, i suppose supposed to be most people will know who it was if they've seen the announcement but it was around like they were badging a company was badging this is like green wash week mm. and saying it was like is this just an opportunity for the government to uh, basically sing their own praises about what they're doing and celebrate uh, their progress but I, I honestly think obviously we're close to this agenda mm. and having h- partnered with the government on this um, and then stepping away from that though and actually being involved in some of those events i think that's slightly missing the point i, I don't i didn't see this person as an effort from the government just to bring together a week of to show everyone how much they've progressed in fact there was a number of sessions i sat in and on the innovation event that was the government admitting you know they didn't mm. they didn't have all the answers yet and that was why they were congregating these people and what i saw this week was about was actually galvanizing change and efforts from across business, society and government, mm. so it's just a bit, I don't know, I've, I found it a bit stra- of a strange approach to sort of just immediately got, jump on that bandwagon of, well, the government is just using it <laughs> as a thing to, I didn't. I didn't see that, but Anyway, that's, I'll get off my high horse. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, on, I suppose on that note as well, the other thing that's probably given me a bit of a bias there is, is our that what we've done with the Mission Possible Pledge Wall, um, with support of the government, um, has been fantastic. So uh, I think we mentioned this at the start of the week in the first. I can't even remember now, but in the first mm. uh, in the introduction uh, in the studio on Monday, we mentioned the Mission Possible Pledge Wall and what it was. It's essentially just a place for businesses to um, to to go online and post a new commitment um, to, to sort of clean sustainable growth um, and we use Green GB Week as a, as a nice hook uh, and a, a platform to do that and yeah as Sarah mentioned 65 pledges now as of this morning on the Friday um, which is fantastic um, George you you've sort of been managing those as they've come in because it's not just been as simple as a pledge being posted and then added to the wall we've made right. sure we vetted them and made sure they're either new or sort of tangible commitments um, are there any highlights of the pledges that you wanted to pull out or mention?
4: I don't want to cop out and say it's too hard because there's so many, so, yeah. but there really are. And I don't I don't want to just highlight one or two. I think it's great that we've had the big businesses on board, the likes of Amazon, mm. BT, mm. Uh, BT's commitment. Um, we've touched on it so many times already, but the fact that they generate whatever, 1% of the UK's mm. annual electricity, this is going to make such a huge difference. Mm. Um, but then also, I think we can't look away from some of the commitments have been made, perhaps not by the biggest organisations, but even like, we've got individuals here Mm. that have made commitments. I've got um, one here from a sole trader, Adrian Ashton, Mm. Uh, he's pledging to ensure that at least fifty percent of his in person meetings are staged remotely mm. and this is negating the need for car travel or public transport and reducing emissions because I think that I think I wanted to touch upon that because it's it's great having all these big business commitments but to have individual commitments as well is superb because yeah. obviously we need to all do this mm. together.
1: Well, yeah, and again, feeding back <laughs> to that point I was making earlier about this not just being a sort of greenwash but you know, there you have a business that probably would not have being galvanised to making such a commitment, and now we can kind of track that and monitor that, and go back to, do say Adrian Ashton, mm. uh, Soul Trader, and, and sort of find out, you know, how how's that going? And mm. it's a nice little example, isn't it? And hopefully that will encourage other businesses to follow suit. So uh, let's include a link in the sort of podcast description to the pledge wall for people to to see that. Um, one other thing I think is worth mentioning, because I can imagine the podcast listener maybe listening out and going, well, what, what are Edie doing for <laughs> Green GP week? Or, uh, and it is worth recapping that, you know, we're on that wall, aren't we, Edie is, or, our, or our publisher, Faversham House. Uh, so we've made two commitments, one around the area of emissions reduction, uh, and another uh, in the area of sustainable food sourcing for all of our events that we put on, of which there's quite a few. Um, and on that note, I just wanted to mention to, to listeners, actually to you all, I haven't mentioned it here, but we've, so we're so we assembling a new environmental task force here in the company, um, currently recruiting members of the task force. And we've got our first meeting booked in uh, with a, you know, we've got an external consultant here. And we're really actively looking at kind of, you know, um, uh, walking the walk with sustainability, really. So uh, let's keep listeners posted on how our own mission possible is looking as a company. Anyway, so um, is there anything else worth mentioning um yeah of course
2: um i think we touched uh, upon it maybe very briefly on monday um mm-hmm. but um we have we have now finished the uh the judging uh, process yes yeah for the course, awards yeah. um it was uh it was quite a quite a professional and seamless approach actually i was expecting <laughs> i was expecting a, a kind of ru- like a lot room of people just kind of yelling at each other <laughs> but no it was uh, it was it was really insightful really engaging that's all done and um we're we're soon to be announcing the uh the shortlist
1: yeah on monday and yeah record-breaking number of entries so i'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast have have entered so good luck to everyone and the shortlist is being revealed on monday on the, the website first so um yeah, good luck to everyone. Um, I think that's probably all we've time for. This is probably one of the longest episodes we've ever done when you add it all up. Um, thanks to, to George, Sarah, Matt um, for you know all of your work this week. It's been fantastic. Um, and we hope you all enjoyed the uh, Green GB Week relay. Uh, so it's a goodbye from Sarah. Goodbye. Goodbye from George. Goodbye. Goodbye from Matt. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Goodbye.